You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. Welcome to The Making of a Marketer, the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing, one topic at a time. Hosted by digital marketing consultants, Jess Nickerson and Andy Pondillo. We welcome you to join the conversation. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Now here are your hosts, Jess and Andy. We are live once again on The Making of a Marketer, Andy Pondillo and Jess Nickerson with you for a very special and important episode uh, celebrating Mental Health Awareness Month. And I can't wait to get into this topic. Um, we have a very special guest on hand for us today. And I, I think some just very important discussions and a lot of things to cover. Uh, I got my space shirt on today. So, you know, that's another special occasion. Uh, but Jess, uh, definitely excited to be back. You know, I had a short vacation. I've come back safe and sound. And for the end of the podcast, we have theme park stories. So uh, I didn't prep you on what these stories are, but I, I know you'll look forward to them. Yes, yes. And, and getting that, that your mental status update after returning from another theme park. Yes, there's always updates. There's always something that goes down. There's always a lifelong story to go along with it. But uh, to start off our conversation today, we are joined by Steve Turney, the executive director of the Mental Health Marketing Conference, one that I'm very excited to be speaking at in just a few months. So, Steve, we're very happy to have you on. And, you know, a big thank you just for all you're doing right now in the mental health space. We're real excited to have what I think will be a unique conversation we haven't had on this program and one that's very much needed. Well, Andy and Jess, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I've been excited since you invited me. And Andy, looking forward to seeing you in September too and learning from you there. But um, yeah, thank you for putting mental health in the spotlight when it comes to marketing and what you're building with this podcast. So that's very cool. Most definitely. We're going to get to that. We have a lot of questions on hand, but first things first is we have the same question we ask everybody. 
and it relates around creativity. So you're planning a, a huge event in a few months. There's got to be creativity that goes into that. I know there's a million different dominoes and chess pieces you're lining up, but as we talk about creativity, sometimes we can get a little bit stuck. So we want to know what your recipe is for getting unstuck when you're putting together that creative mindset. Yeah, so this ties into my story and a few maybe questions down uh, the script that we'll get into. But, um, you know, when my story took me through talk therapy, um, sort of in my early 40s, um, one thing it did was it took me off of what I call the competitive path. And that was kind of a, a forcing uh, career, uh, you know, say like a sales driven role and things like that. And, and it took me back to that why in the road and sent me down the creative path. So I think to answer your question, the first thing would be uh, is to sort of check the ego and make sure you are trying to be creative or you are allowing yourself to be creative because I can speak for my experience. I've been terribly judgmental about what I consider to be creative and the thing that my hand finds to do may not have an ROI associated with it immediately. And there's a pressure to do that, right? So um, some things I do, um, especially lately, I've just been reminded to play, like just play and have fun with it. You can create crappy work and it's okay, right? Like you don't always have to do the Beatles White Album. Like you can just do Godfather 3 sometimes, you know, and that's okay. Um, but being able to play and allow yourself to enjoy the work and love the work is important because it is important to create crappy work or a, or a you know a a bad first draft let's call it you know um it's okay to um just do the grind and you know if you read Stephen Pressfield you know the war of art or anything like that it's like yeah you do have to do the work that said it doesn't have to 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 come out like a diamond every time sometimes you um go for days or weeks um and then and then there's um there's one last thing, which I uh, kind of a quote that comes to mind when I'm stuck. And it's the it's the idea that if you don't have time to meditate for one hour, you should meditate for two hours. And the idea there is that, um, again, in my story, I went to a silent retreat at a monastery and that all, almost always blows people away unless they've also gone to a silent retreat for themselves uh, because you just sit in the silence and the nothingness. and we can do that in the morning before a cup of coffee for 15 minutes. And um, not that it's not necessarily hard work because it can be um, to kind of make sure the mind is clear. But I think the power of space and silence is something that lets me get unstuck too. I love that response, Steve. Something that I advocated for when working in the agency world is you had to log your time. So like you're working on client works, so everything was logged time and you would be looked at um, by managers on how much time you logged and was it, um, ex what's the right word, um, expendable to clients. So was it client work and you had to hit a certain threshold? And I used to say managing teams that, you know, when you're young, we get so caught up and like all our time has to mean some sort of ROI and you can get so lost in that. And I started to what you're saying, just that quietness. And I started saying that I just need time for quietness to think. Like there are times when I work at LinkedIn, 
I work on a PowerPoint presentation. I'm literally staring at the presentation for 20 minutes thinking. And that 20 minutes thinking has made the next five hours much more productive because I was able to wrap around my head what I'm trying to do. So I, I really like the idea of meditation and what you're saying here because it allows you to enter a, a proper mental space when you're doing your marketing work. Yeah, I've lived agency life and billable hours, man, they they can they can eat you alive a little bit. Um, so that's yeah, you get kind of tied to that system. And there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's a it's a it's a way to measure um, some kind of productivity. Um, but it's a very different exercise, I think, than the need to be creative. And, you know, and a step beyond meditation for me, honestly, is is sleep on it. Like, what I get out of my dreams, sometimes, you know, you're, you have a half baked project, you're just kind of stuck, there's this obstacle, like, I just, I just send it to the unconscious, you know, and, uh, and the collective unconscious, as Jung would call it, you know, you, you send it up to the sky, and uh, you wake up the next day, and you sort of ask your soul, uh, what's the answer to that question? You know, and it, and sometimes it can can be uh, eye opening. What you know, the simple matter of resetting the battery and stepping away. So there's lots of ways to do it, but um, you know, it's uh, it's it's not different than um, like the marathon runner. I don't know if you've ever done any long distance running, but um, the number one mistake of a long distance runner in a race, especially like a, a novice, is they go out too fast and too hard. And I think that's what we do. You know, we get this project on our plate and we're like, oh, man, I'm going to I'm just going to grind at this. And it's like, no, actually, what you should do is ease into this and, you know, allow the space for for all of that. So, yeah, agency life and and putting together, um, you know, whether it's a creative brief or, you know, a marketing campaign. Um, yeah, sometimes it's it's the quantity. Sometimes it's just writing a hundred lines of copy and and two jump out at you as gold. Um, and that that's a way to get there. But sometimes it's just breathing with it and sitting with it. So Steve, oh go ahead, Jess. I was gonna say, and and Steve, how are you currently playing? Mm. Uh, I play music. Uh, I'm learning piano. Uh, I I'm the youngest of four kids, and my parents. Um, uh, they made a big investment in the first three kids to teach them all piano. And it was like pulling teeth for all of them. And so they got to the fourth kid and they're like, no, we're not making this mistake again. And it turns out that I was the musical one. So, um, you know, like choir and, and guitar and things like that. But I'd always wanted to play piano. So um, our neighbor gave us this beautiful Baldwin and it's in our living room. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity. It's It's kind of for my daughter, but... So I take a weekly lesson and um, I still play guitar. I still sing. Um, I love to make silly videos. I haven't done quite as much of that anymore. Um, exercise is a type of play for me, for sure. It, it's um, I can feel when my body kind of just needs to reset and and uh, and burn off some energy. Um, and then and then uh, time with friends, you know, just uh, in, being inspired by the people around me who are just amazing and magical and uh, and different from me. And, and, uh, and that, that pulls me forward quite a bit too. So you mentioned piano. I love this. I'm not going to derail us too much with Steve. So that is something that I've been saying for a while that I do want to start taking lessons on. Um, secret things some people know about me is in my free time, I attempt to make electronic dance music and I've made a few tracks 
that are on a hidden SoundCloud somewhere on the dark web, but there's like three of them that are really good. Um, I do use a lot of piano in my music production, but I don't write my own stuff or do my own stuff. I use a lot of pre-made loops and then kind of mix them together and architect it. But that's something I've wanted to do for a while is learn some piano. So I, I know who to hit up now um, for some piano lessons. I don't know. I don't know if I would be the person to hit up, but um, I do hear your language around uh, the things that you've hidden way back there. And isn't that what we do with creativity? You know, there's this thing you're passionate about and uh, you can see it in the way that if you ever ask somebody, what do you just love to do? Um, you know, or what's your what's your superpower? Like, what do you do that you just love? The first answer is typically either to say nothing or to say, um, I don't know. Um, and then if you just wait in silence, the second answer is always the truth. And, uh, or, you know, that's been my experience. So for your, for your uh, electric music um, to be hidden, tucked away, you know, that's probably quite a passion for you. And we just, we just shame ourselves sometimes, you know, that's like one of the biggest lessons I learned from talk therapy was to simply recognize when I'm shaming myself and and then to try to quiet that and to put that in the back seat because I would love to hear your music. And I bet it's I bet it's great if you're putting your whole self into it. Um, and we just I think we I think we're at a place where we can and should allow ourselves as much of that as possible. You know, bring that to the forefront. Uh, we've been so focused on this, on this post-industrial technology revolution, and that's a wonderful thing. And 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 sometimes we turn ourselves into resources for companies, and I think that's that's just not the entirety of life. You know, it's wonderful to be able to be a great marketer. And it's another thing to just let your soul speak what it wants to speak, you know, whether that's music or or baking or um, whatever it is that comes from your hand. If you just simply let your hand do what it wants to do and then do that with all your heart, you know, and it's it's shocking. And so for me, when I touch the key, the piano keys, man, I'll tell you, it's it's a love language for me and it's horrible, but then it gets better and better. And I have some videos that are pretty great. And I share them out to my friends. So yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm all about. So let's talk about your career, Steve, because you've touched on just briefly here. So you dove into the marketing world, you've been in the business development, you've been in the sales world, uh, you even touch base, you have a little bit of the broadcast world a little bit too. So I want to hear just how this all comes together and leads you to being the executive director of the mental health marketing conference. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can see the gray in my beard. I'm not the youngest person around, so I won't bore you with all the history. I mean, my first real job was a, a sports editor for a, a weekly newspaper in Northern California. Like we could go way back there, but I think to fast forward and to, to try to have good storytelling when I turned 40 and went to that monastery um, it was, it was driven by a few things and, um, I came away with this idea of help people in need and, uh, just those four words. And, um, that led me to try to do things for people in, in clumsy ways. And I had, like I said, familiar with agency life. I'd been working at a, a really well-known, uh, marketing agency that worked with health systems, some of the best health systems in the country. And, 
um, you know, helping them with their business development and their growth strategy uh, at a at a critical point in that um, company's life life cycle. And um, and then I realized, like, I really know who I should help, and it's me. It's me at the core is like where I should start. And that's what led me to um, take the advice of a CEO that I know and trust in Nashville who said, oh, yeah, I've got this licensed professional counselor. Why don't you go talk to him? And I didn't know what to expect. I, I have had and still have a lot of ignorance about mental health, but I've learned so much in the last four or five years. So um, and I went under the guise of career guidance um, because I had been forcing myself down this sales role that in retrospect was just not natural for me and who I was. And so, um, and I remember the counselor looking me in the eye and being like, so what's up with this sales thing you're doing? <laughs> you know. So we did talk about that a little bit, but we got quickly into family and shame and lies and, uh, and a couple nuggets that stick with me. He said, if you ever want to know how you're lying to yourself, just think of what you won't tell your mother and you'll instantly know. And he also said that the mask that we wear is typically the exact opposite of the face. So when we're dealing with people, maybe in our companies or our coworkers or our friends and family, um, I took away just some amazing insights, but really it's the long-term relationship and being seen by somebody in a, in a trusting relationship where they're on your side is so powerful, you know, and it's why, it's why loneliness is such a silent killer is because the opposite, the the power of connection, like we have right now, you know, the ability to connect and have this conversation is amazing. So, um, so after that, I went and had coffee with a friend of mine who had founded this conference um, called the Mental Health Marketing Conference, maybe eight or nine years ago now at this point. And he had a relationship with um, somebody who had a psychotic break, basically schizophrenic break. And, um, and we were talking and he needed some help with the conference. And I said, how can I help? And that got me involved with uh, booking speakers and sponsors, which I had been doing for professional associations in Nashville and, and the agency I was working with. So all that to say that got me involved and I knew nothing about event planning. I knew a little bit about marketing and tried to apply that, um, but it's just turned into a love. So um, that brings us to, yeah, I think this coming up in September is our seventh annual conference. Very cool. And that leads us to the next question is just tell us about the conference. Like, what can we expect? Who should attend? Website, all those details. We'll be sure to post it in the comment section as well so everybody can see. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's a magical community. It really is a special group of people. And I can't quite say why that is. I've been to hundreds and hundreds of conferences. And um and this one is very special. So I, I I just tried to do the work to keep it special. And it's riding this giant tsunami wave of mental health that we've all been thinking about and talking about in the last three to four years, much more than we ever have. And I celebrate that because, um, because you know, mental health, you know, we, we've seen different things over the years have stigma. And um, you can think of the AIDS, you can think of, you know, back to my grandmother's time, breast cancer, you can think of mental health um, today, and we're breaking that down. And it's, it's interesting to know that um, we don't just stigmatize the illness, you know, we stigmatize the solutions as well. So um, what we're doing is providing a quote, unquote, microphone for 
behavioral health companies to get their very important message um, to everybody who needs to hear it. So the the paint the picture I paint sometimes is imagine that you have a message to tell the world and you're in Madison Square Garden and the place is packed. Um, without a microphone, the people who are going to hear you are in the front row, you know, the people who can afford it all. And we might we might say that's an analogy for people who can afford private pay, talk therapy, and not to say their problems are any less complicated or important. Um, but I want to get the voice to the nosebleeds and the social determinants of health and ostracized um, outlier communities. And 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 quite honestly, uh, one of the factors of mental illness or a symptom, you could say, is the message in our head to say, I don't need care, or I, I'm not going to go pursue care, or I'm going to stay alone, um, or I've been kind of ostracized, and that's just what I deserve. And so powerful consumer marketing is one of the best things we can do. Because as you know, marketing drives awareness, and it drives interest, and it drives engagement, and it overcomes the noise in the market. And you can send a signal through the noise with marketing. So I I believe the behavioral health space has a lot to learn from the best consumer marketers out there. And conversely, the best consumer marketers have a lot to learn about the language of mental health. And there's lots of, way, lots of ways to pick that up. Um, but getting together, learning from, you know, people like you, I can't believe, you know, Andy, that you're coming to the conference and going to speak. Um, because we're a bootstrapped, grassroots, scrappy little labor of love that happens to punch way above our weight class only because the message is so important and people get behind the message and the community, especially when they come once, then they buy in and they're they're all in. So all I want to do is provide a safe, inclusive community and 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 place where people can meet. So it's in September, September 25 through 27. Um, it's in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, it's called the Factory at Franklin, which is just 20 miles south of Nashville. So easy to fly into Nashville and lots of cool hotels and rest, restaurants there um, to choose from. And then the venue is beautiful. And for more information, the website is M as in mental, H as in health, marketing.org. So mhmarketing.org. Well, I am looking super forward to it, Steve. And, you know, one thing that I actually was talking to my fiance who works in mental health, which is kind of just like full, you know, circle type thing. I've learned so much from her since we, we've been dating just a couple of years ago. And it's kind of what you're saying, Steve, is we all get kind of a touch. We learn a little bit about it from things we might see and hear, but it takes a an effort, you know, because it's still stigmatized and we're, we're undoing that right now, but there's still large learning all of us have to do. And I learned a lot from her. And one thing I've said when it comes to conferences going forward and speaking engagements, and especially after COVID and all the things that happened is I enjoy speaking at marketing conferences. We'll do, you know, how you can lower your CPL and build full funnel and all that. That's stuff we specialize in. But what I really want to do is I want to speak with something that has a purpose. So when you came to me with this idea um, about speaking about marketing for mental health and combining the two, I thought it was just brilliant because it's something that I think there's a lot of marketers want to do things like this. So it's just an honor to be there and be able to speak to something so important. Hmm. And this also kind of just leads into the next question as well here is, 
you know, let's talk about that, the alignment of mental health and marketing. So, you know, there's organizations, there's more of them popping up as we see this become more mainstream. There's more companies that I think are just going for it now because they know that it's, you know, a market out there and they can get their message and their purpose out there. Um, how do you see organizations in this space right now starting to get their message more out there and more vibrant? Mm, yeah. Um, I think it is a space race. I think, you know, to the, to the tsunami picture that we're riding, we're just trying to stay on the surfboard here, even in the last five or six years of the conference and who comes to the conference. Uh, it used to be that it was largely the solopreneur and, you know, you hang a shingle up as a therapist and you get clients and you don't really know how to do a website or marketing because you never took any courses in, in your school, in your education. And there still is that. Uh, they still don't provide business courses um, for therapists or providers. So we still have 101 courses uh, that we provide. But what's happened lately, post-COVID especially, is that private equity has gotten involved and um, some people have positive ideas about private equity. Some people have a bad taste in their mouth. What's exciting about private equity is that there is an opportunity to provide efficiencies and business model scale, and quite honestly, some business rigor that's maybe sometimes lacking in an industry like this, which is so heart and so philanthropic that oftentimes therapists and providers will run unprofitable businesses. And, you know, I could see an argument for, for some of that sometimes because we have big distribution problems in terms of where are the mental health professionals in the country? Not every county or city has an equal distribution. You know, some counties and cities are are lacking terribly in mental health providers. And so there's another there's another swell to that wave, which is technology. And we're trying to figure out how to innovate and and um, you know this is a perfect example. This conversation right here that you're live streaming is is amazing because we couldn't do this ten years ago. Um, that said, we also need to make sure that we're not running so fast that we're breaking things. And by breaking things, I mean breaking people because we're dealing with mental health care here. So, um, but so that to say, there's the tech influence or or influx, and there's the private equity influx. And then there are organizations doing, uh, I think, brilliant work in helping therapists and um, and other mental health, behavioral health providers, addiction treatment centers to scale, to let the clinicians and providers work at the top of their license and um, and and then let a great marketing agency come in and um, do what they do best. So that's where I see gains happening is that we're seeing specialization happening. And um, and the other thing about scale and and the excitement that I have is um is that it's almost like the private industry is laying the railroad tracks for national mental health care, which was really um fractured at one point. We used to have quite a bit more of a federal uh, supported safety net, right? For for some basic mental illness, mental mental health, serious mental illness care, and then that got fractured down to the state level, and so it got siloed fifty times. And um, sort of my dream would be that we rebuild that. 
Um, and that was, you know, that was JFK's dream was, you know, in addition to the space race to have um, the care for care for, you know, everybody who needs it, regardless of uh, what their what their uh, sorry, one second what their ability to pay is, let's say. So the private industry, the, the private market has gone um, and started to build those networks for us, I would say. And um, and why that's important is because one of the hard things about mental health is payment. So um, when you have scale, as you know, you have buying power, you know, you have you, you, the reason Walmart can push around vendors is because they have scale, you know, they're the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Um, so when we think about how to pay for mental health care, we have to think about that health insurance companies are going to be the way to do that. And so that's what gets me excited about, um, about this broader distribution and then relying on marketing firms and marketing agencies and marketing professionals to do what they do best to get the word out. And that's something that I think, you know, going to our agency world, Steve, that was really important to me uh, is that I dabbled in healthcare a little bit as an agency partner. I would say I've dabbled in everything. That's kind of the, the beauty of doing it. But uh, um, I never went into the mental health space, but I did go into the healthcare space. And one of the first things I learned is there's so many nuances to this type of marketing. There's HIPAA violations all over the place. There's things you can advertise, but you can't advertise. And I had to learn all those nuances. And we talked about formal training, no formal training for that. Formal training was you learn it on the job. And, you know, what I found out are a lot of these uh, institutions, they're very much uh, like other verticals in that they want to make money. They want to see progress. They need to see things immediately. Um, but they're different in that there's a whole other language, um, you know, barrier that goes with marketing with healthcare. So um, mm -hmm. you talk a little bit, a bit about those nuances in the mental health space. Is this something too that, you know, obviously at the conference, but this is something that you work on in the marketing space is trying to educate what those nuances are and, and get marketers up to speed a little bit quicker. Yeah, I, I've even thought about building some sort of mental health marketing certification that, you know, somebody at an agency, like a marketing agency could take if they come in to a behavioral health focused agency and they just don't know the language, right? And you could go through this 10 or 12 week course to at least have some fundamentals and foundations because for one, just one example, you know, storytelling is so powerful. Well, you can't necessarily tell those stories or, you know, what's important to think about when you're thinking about telling a patient's story. And that starts with an absolute, um, uh, an absolute opt-in, you know, that doesn't have any, any incentive behind it other than, you know, the, uh, the patient's interest and passion about telling their story out in the market. Otherwise, uh, otherwise it gets gray really quickly. And yeah, you said, you know, um, HIPAA violations or, or simply the, the Hippocratic oath do no harm. Um, we have, we have Megan Cornish, um, coming, I don't know if you know, Megan Cornish coming to the conference, but she's going to be talking about ethics and, in, in marketing and mental health marketing and what you can and can't do, or, or should be thinking about, um, TikTok is a big conversation right now. Um, I heard the other day, one in five Americans will use TikTok as a, a health advice resource before they go to their doctor, you know? So it's like 20% of Americans are relying on that. 
which is fascinating while at the same time Montana is banning the app altogether I think um so we have this tension around um what are the channels that um we should be on and and where should we be showing up to do good with what we're doing you know to do net positive things so those are just a couple things you know storytelling always comes up at the conference and uh and then responsible use of social media because there is a huge opportunity to be on social media and we should have clinically rigorous experts out there um, being able to compete in the marketplace that is doing all sorts of other silly videos or things like that, you know? Um, and, and I've seen a swell on LinkedIn too, actually. I mean, more therapists are on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I, I mean, I, I've just, I've been there for years and it just continues to turn into a useful platform for us given the the b2b nature of things that we focus on um but um yeah that that's a big broad conversation that gets into um making sure you have some legal counsel where you can maybe um you know bounce things off of as you do marketing campaigns let's say you probably um could be well advised to to do that if there's any um any gray area that you feel like you're stepping into when it comes to mental health, because I wouldn't be able, you know, you would send it to me. I wouldn't be able to say, well, this is probably good to go out to market. You really need a, a, a professional. And if it's not a lawyer, a clinician, you know, engage a clinician, somebody who speaks that language and rely on the expertise for that. You know, Justin and I, we've been dabbling in a little TikTok. We even put some some of our videos on there. We haven't done any dances yet. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for Jess first on that, and then uh, we'll take it from there. But, you know, hey, it's been a, a little bit of a trial run for us as well. How's that gone? It, it's good. You know, Jess is going to laugh at our most engaging video. I don't know if you noticed, Steve, but our goal for the podcast is to get Tom Anderson, Tom from MySpace, to pop on it because he's an absolute ghost. Nobody knows what he does or, or where he's been for the last, you know, 10, 15 years. We just know that he's on exotic islands taking pictures all the time. So we did a TikTok about me basically making my statement that he needs to come back to the marketing industry and that was our most engaging video thus far mm. so he's, he's like the he's like the bitcoin satoshi of social media yes he's just, he's just <laughs> we, disappeared we need to come back <laughs> i hope you get him back i hope you get him on this show i don't think i don't think my interview is going to be the thing that that pushes him over the ledge but you never know you never know mm -hmm. Move. Steve, I'm I'm just so blown away by what you're saying. I don't even know where to go. I, I'm definitely not ready for TikTok yet, but it does make me think like how that like the the, the format and the way the, the videos are played and consumed, like how that could be applied to the mental health conversation in a meaningful way. Like, I, oh, I'm yeah. still just blown away that uh, people are going there first hmm. before going to a, a, a healthcare practitioner. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And the the technology has gotten so smart. I mean, I've loved playing around with chat GPT, you know, uh, but it just opens up the hood and the realization that, oh, technology has advanced so far. So when we think about making real human connections in a way that's um that's empathetic and and a way that is um influential 
we have to realize there is there is a race against the algorithms and the technology um that um you know not bringing fear into it there's a lot of fear around the conversation but simply staying focused on the big picture which is how do we continue to connect people and bring them together for happier healthier lives and yeah i'm with you jess i'm i'm like dumbfounded every time i i learn something new about um how i'm being influenced in my own life without even really realizing it on platforms and and there it goes it goes back to the beginning of this whole conversation which is the space that we probably need to be giving ourselves in addition to these amazing tools and technologies that we have um you know it's very i'm always i'm always the yin yang like i'm i sit on the fence you know and just make observations and that has a that's every mountain has a shadow so that's not the place for everybody to be it has its strengths and it has its drawbacks but um you know when we swing the pendulum too far it it regresses to the mean you know things find homeostasis and balance and so that's the thing i think to be checking ourselves on is okay TikTok may or may not be an evil thing it may or it may be that we've swung this pendulum too far and we need to come back come back home a little bit and I, I like to say the social media industry almost has, we're starting to see it have some cycles. So if you go back into marketing, uh, for instance, old school marketing, TV, newspaper, radio, you start to see cycles that start mm -hmm. to happen. And sometimes you see some of these industries bleed in the others. Um, what I've seen with TikTok, and I've seen it on LinkedIn as well, uh, both are very much organic type platforms they have the paid side but they still have an organic voice they have community they have you know basically impact on what you're doing in your life and there's things that we take away mentally from it that could be good or bad and i feel like both of these platforms are operating differently in the type of content they put out but they operate similar to facebook 2008 through like 2014 to me before it was you know 50 percent plus ads network so i do think as we start to see these platforms evolve and in the mental health space i feel like it might be useful for us to actually break out the recent history books and look at what went right on Facebook, what went wrong on Facebook. And I feel like we're starting to see more of those active conversations on other platforms in different formats. But I think it's just something interesting to me that, you know, the things we hear about TikTok now, in my opinion, was what we were saying about Facebook 10 years ago as it was becoming more mainstream and more part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting, that's a great point and interesting too. And and I would say, yeah, part of that is our amazing ability to adapt as humans. And, um, you know, somebody was telling me yesterday, you know, like if you look at your hand, she was saying your pinky keeps getting shorter and shorter compared to people in the past. And it's simply because we don't need to swing from trees much anymore. And we don't need to swing axes anymore. Um, so, so we have this fascinating innate ability or reaction to not just react to things in sort of a, in sort of a robust way, but to improve and be dynamically better, um, based on what comes into our lives. So partly we just need to give ourselves, um, time to change you know there's a there's a um an amazing industrial designer named raymond lowey 
and he helped redesign a little bit of the Coca-Cola bottle and he redesigned trains. He redesigned the shell logo and other amazing iconic things that you would recognize, but not know whose hand was on it. And he has this concept, uh, called Maya. Are you familiar with this? Where it's, it's an acronym for most advanced yet acceptable. And the reason that his designs were so powerful was that he didn't take the design out to the nth degree. And, um, you know, I remember the Prius almost did this, like the Prius almost fell off into the ocean and they're like, who killed the electric car? Well, maybe it's your weird space design that almost killed the electric car. In addition to the fact that the industry and the fossil fuel industry and consumers weren't ready for it. And so when you're designing marketing or when you're designing anything, that's where market research is so powerful because you need to know where are people today and how much can they change? Because as much as I want to, I can't, I can't change infinitely. You know, I'm always thinking about 80 year old Steve and I'm thinking about how do I invest in 80 year old Steve, but that doesn't mean I can become 80 year old Steve. I need a bridge to that. And that bridge takes time. And so I think that's important too, is that, um, we're trying, like we're trying to keep up with technology and we always have, you know, you could look back to the printing press and I mean, the, the uproar that that caused and, you know, moving off the oral tradition into the written word, word that's scalable, talk about a scandal. Um, and, you know, if we were there now, we would probably be in the same, the same boat, having these conversations around the rate of change with technology. So, um, you know, it's maybe a simplified view of it, but um, I do believe strongly in in humans' ability to to embrace change. But we have to be also we have to care for ourselves because we're not um, that's not a, an infinite power that we have. So we have one more section of this interview left. We we need to get to an amazing conversation so far, Steve. So Steve Turney, again, with us, Executive Director of Mental Health Marketing Conference. We will have the links in the comments if you're interested. I do want to talk about mental health in the social media industry. So uh, Steve, you've definitely worked in this corporate marketing world. You've seen it transform to what it is. I personally, in my years, have not seen so much happen in such a short time. Um, I'll probably, I don't, I know history repeats itself. We'll probably be saying that again in, in like 10 years, but I think there's just been a lot that's happened since 2020, of course. Um, I do feel like the social media community right now, working in this industry, the, the example I give a lot is we hit COVID um, a lot of people on social media immediately went into damage control, crisis messaging. A lot of us don't have any training in that. Um, we learned it during 2020, of course. We worked through that. A lot of difficult marketing challenges. We got back to close to normal again in 2022. Recession hits, layoffs, all that promise that people thought they were working towards. We've seen it evaporate a little bit. So right now I see a social media industry that's a little bit fractured. It's trying to find itself. We see people moving all over the place. Um, a lot of posts on LinkedIn, of course, people trying to find roles. Um, how can we as employers, and I would say people of employers, help this situation and be ambassadors for mental health? Hmm. Let's talk about that. That's a great question. Um, the first thing I would say, and I just, 
was so fortunate. I got to write a guest post for the Nashville Business Journal about how to have a, a healthy uh, conversation and culture around mental health. And uh, one of my favorite quotes by Carl Jung is that, um, and, and forgive it because it's written a long time ago, but he says, he says the, the man who looks outside dreams and the man who looks inside awakes. And I think that applies to everybody. And I think that applies because there are tremendous problems and challenges, recession, layoff, um, upheaval. Um, and there, there is a lot of change. And then Andy, I can also just see, I can just flip that coin and say, yes, and there's nothing new under the sun. Or, you know, one of my favorite authors, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who wrote The Black Swan and, and Anti-Fragile, he talks about the Lindy effect. And the Lindy effect is that basically in short, if you if you look out at the galaxy and you look at all the all the planets that are in the whole galaxy, on average, those planets will be, you know, um, half of their life spent. And that's just the nature of things out there. So things that are... Um, the point to that is things that are um, around a long time have the tendency to last about that long into the future. So that's why we have things still like paper books and forks that aren't tremendously innovative uh, to us today, uh, but it's because something about them survived. So I believe um, that in order to have mentally healthy workplaces, the very first thing to do as the CEO or the executive team is to look inside and to do that work yourself. And that may feel um, inefficient or that may feel like not enough scale, but so much of culture comes from the, the top, quote unquote, top of the organization. And so it may be the hardest thing to do is to actually stop and say, actually, I need some help. Actually, I need a sabbatical. Actually, I need a friend or a relationship, or I need to talk to somebody about some things that are complicated in my life. Um, the way that an NBA player would go talk to a coach about strength training or stretching or diet, uh, we have this weird um, siloed effect around the mind. But if we can get to the point where we're saying, yeah, I just, I just need help, you know, um, that's number one. And then I think it becomes around yes, you need policies in place and those need to be well-researched and probably championed by a, a skunk team or a small group of people who are, are, um, are passionate and well-informed about um, how do we talk about mental health and mental illness in the workplace? And those are two different things, um, the same way that illness and health are two different things. And, and there's so much nuance around, um, around our fear, really. You know, whether it's it's talk therapy and we shame that by saying like, oh, you, you need to go sit on a couch for an hour or, oh, you need to take some drugs to be OK today or, um, you know, electroconvulsive therapy sounds scary. Although, actually, have you read the, you know, the blind studies on that? So there's there's just a lot of fear, I think, around that. So having a team internally in your workplace is important um, after sort of caring for yourself and making sure you're owning it yourself. And then there are amazing resources out there um, and associations uh, made of millions comes to mind. They've got mental health training. Um, Psych hub is another one. That's a phenomenal 
maybe the world's largest um, library of mental health content for employers and consumers and, and everybody, payers. Um, so, so there's plenty of research out there. Um, there's lots of books, you know, I mean, education, you know, it takes me to the, um, to, to the, to the Marie Curie quote, basically about, we don't need to be afraid. We need to be more educated right now around mental health. So Thomas Insel's book, healing our path from mental illness to mental health. Um, he outlines the journey that we're on beautifully. So there's tons of resources out there. So the more we can get educated, I think it strips the fear away. So those are those are some initial thoughts I have. And I know it's a little bit long-winded, but I'm just so passionate about this topic. So I appreciate you having me on and, uh, and, and covering so much. I mean, just this like reminded me of our employer brand series we've just been doing. Steve, we could have you on for a whole other session to talk about how employers could do it. I mean, I don't know about you, Jess, but it was just like ringing bells in my head of things that, you know, could internally be done and externally done to get the message out. Steve, I'm really curious. Are you finding that more and more companies outside of the healthcare space, like they want to take this on and they want to to build this into their their brand proposition, their brand value. Yeah, I think that's that is definitely happening and it could be partially a business decision um to increase retention and recruitment at a time that's very difficult because I think it's the American Psychological Association recently did a study in 2022 and it said Either you can fact check this pretty quickly, but either 70 or 80% of employees are looking for their next workplace culture to be mentally healthcare, uh, yeah, mental, to, to be savvy about mental health and to be supportive of a mental health culture. So, what that means is people are looking beyond the company and the, the job they have right now. And so, um, of course, a CEO or an executive team is going to say, well, what we can't have is employee attrition in order to to hit our goals. So I think the market is responding to that. But I do think there's also um, a tide that's beyond just kind of the business, um, you know, profit making side of things. And I do think that the people running the companies are humans, too. And so you have to think 70 or 80 percent of them are saying, I want more of a mentally healthy culture because. Uh, look what just happened in my family or look what just happened to a friend of mine. We all have that story. I think I've never met somebody who doesn't have that story. And um, and that's when it really hits home for us as humans. So I do think that there is a, a, a head and a heart side to this that's driving uh, the employer change. And again, oftentimes in the private space where it's simple economics mixed with um, with the goodness of humanity that I think is at our core. So much information, Steve. We could do a series on this easily with you. It's just um, so amazing to have you on. I think that what's great about this, we brought you, of course, here for Mental Health Awareness Month. But um, as you know, and we know, it goes far beyond that. So we'll definitely, in the future, have more of these conversations. And I can't wait to hear more from your podcast as well, um, where you're putting out great information. So thank you again, Steve. And um, we'll be putting out links to the conference and I'm looking forward to continue working together. Uh, thank you both for having me on. It really is an honor to uh, chop up some of these ideas in real time and revisit them and um, 
and find some new insights and then hopefully share it with some people out there and, and inspire them in some way with something we've we've all said today. I think there's been insights across the board. So thank you so much. No problem. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Well, Jess, I definitely feel uh, very inspired after that talk. Steve, in terms of his philosophies on both marketing and mental health, um, I wanted to tell him this during the conversation, but if he went to a university today to become a professor and start his own like mental health marketing course or like curriculum, he could do it right now. I'm sold. Yes. Well, I was just going to say, I am all in on his idea for the, the marketing mental health certification. Mm -hmm. I, I'd be one of his first first participants. Definitely. And, and that's what, you know, I think we really hit on is, you know, we both have been in the marketing game for a while. Uh, the, there was no formal training on how to message in this industry, or, you know, we're even talking about employment branding and them messaging for uh, mental health resources. You know, there's probably a little bit more out there now, but when we came up, it was trial and error. And I think it still is trial and error for a lot of people. So there definitely is a need for that. Definitely. Especially to like going back to Steve's po point around storytelling. We know it's super effective and like how, you know, how are they, how are these organizations building these employee stories, their stakeholder stories into the brand in a meaningful way that's also not in violation of mm -hmm. HIPAA and, and all these things that I don't know about. Yes. Now, I, I learned the uh, the hard way when I started marketing for healthcare. Um, we pass a copy along for this like organic social media post. So I can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. I was like, oh, oh no, I need to go back and learn. And sometimes, you know, Steve talks about a lot in, in this is when things can get chaotic in marketing, you just start doing things. So, you know, this is, these are ways you can step back, really learn. It'll make you more efficient further on as time goes on. But yet another great guest, Jess. So um, I think this has been, you know, between we just did the employment marketing series. I felt like there were some aspects of that that really tied in. Um, for Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's just been a real phenomenal ride uh, these last several weeks. I know um, you're getting close to your big day. So um, are you excited? You know, uh, it, it's got to be like the home stretch on the countdown right now. It is. And this, again, this conversation with Steve just uh, brought up or made me think about my, my first experience with uh, my firstborn and, you know, having a firstborn during the pandemic. And I, I, I absolutely developed these anxieties that I did not have before. And I, I clearly remember like LinkedIn coming into the picture and offering a Lyra health benefit where you could go speak to someone. And it, it was just like, it was like the perfect timing and no brainer. And I, 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 I did my sessions with my Lyra coach who was absolutely fantastic. And she like really helped me like not only get through the experience, get through the uncertainty, but now it's just really opened my mind where I, I I'm much more comfortable like talking about it with others and sharing my anxieties and 
and just like going back to what Steve was saying too, like trying, uh, trying not to put the stigma around it and just being very open and having the conversations that, and just sharing, sharing my story. And, and I like what he brings up about companies, how people look for companies specifically that will address that mental health and do, do have resources you know, that was something big for me at LinkedIn is do they feel like they're employee first before joining? Because I told myself yeah. at a certain point in my career that I'm not going to go the other direction where it's um, work, 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 work. You know, I want it to have the correct balance. So that was something through the marketing of LinkedIn. I found it clear that they had that uh, through their employment marketing. So it definitely worked for me on the outside looking in. And that's really coming off just what, what you're talking about, Jess, is during the pandemic, I felt like life was a little bit out of control for everybody in different senses. For me, I just moved to a new location. And the famous story I always talk about is how I talked to zero humans face-to-face -face for three months and, and watched the entire uh, library of Love Island. Uh, but um, <laughs> this it definitely wasn't mentally healthy. And, you know, just knowing that a company has your back if you are in a situation is really, really important. Absolutely. I, and I was just thinking about this as well, because I'm, I'm very bummed that I cannot be there with you at the conference, but I definitely want to do an episode where we do a debrief. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, I think it'd be great to have Steve on. We just go through the whole thing again and the experience and everything. I, I'm just absolutely pumped for it. And, you know, September, uh, I, I would say it still feels like it's a ways away, but things come so quick that um, it feels like it'll be next week. But speaking of like weeks to come, Jess, you know, you know, obviously um, you're about to have your second child. We're all extremely excited. We do have some guest uh, hosts lined up, so we will start announcing those. As but you know, you're gonna ride this as as far as you can. So <laughs> you know, when the time comes, we do have some guest hosts lined up, and you know, we'll be keeping it down until you get back, and you know, are really excited just for you know what's to come in your way. Absolutely, and next week. Andy, you and I, we're going to be doing our book club. Yes, doing the book club next week. And um, tell us about the book. You posted, a, we posted about it on the, the making of a marketer. So I still have to read it, but tell us about it. Yes. Uh, so I, I was really inspired. There's so many, there's so many stories uh, from Nike that are very inspiring. But what I love about this specific example with uh, the 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 jogging book is this idea where it's like literally the OG experience where it's almost like you're 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 building a white paper and by doing so talking about the 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 product how to use it and like creating this community so jogging was not a thing before this like Nike Nike and running and the shoes and all of it like it wasn't a thing before this came out so like this is like one of those classic yep. marketing I'm examples saying. that we can all find inspiration from so I'm really excited for us to 
you know, d- dive Break deeper it into yeah. it and just like pull out those, those marketing nuggets and some like tactics and just, and look at how you can really, um, you know, build your brand and then build a community as well. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it. And you're getting me to read again, Jess. So, you know, <laughs> this is successful right here. Uh, yes. I- and I also learned too that jogging, so like this, this can apply to everyone, you know, it's jogging for all ages, but jogging also includes walking as well. Oh. So this is right up my alley too. This is, yes. this is not just for the the marathon runners. This is for just people that are looking to be active. Yes. Yes. Mm. For, for me, it's the exercise bike now, as I've been strongly told not to run again from the doctor based on some injuries of the past, but um, I did used to like jogging. So, you know, it'll apply to me of, you know, Andy throwback Thursday. So I'm excited to, to give it a read, but we have to close out on a fun note. We previewed it um, right at the beginning. So theme park adventures, uh, you know, I'm all about that in my life. So we went this past weekend, uh, drove from Pittsburgh to Niagara Falls to Toronto. We went to a theme park, Canada's Wonderland, amazing amusement park. Um, we specifically went on the day um, where it was a weekday during a school day. So like, it can't be uh, that packed. Fortunately for us, it wasn't packed. It wasn't empty. It was somewhere in between. Uh, so we got through this, you know, pretty easily over there. Uh, nothing, nothing too extreme. Uh, I would say uh, one of our better stories is I got my fiance, if you've seen these rides before, uh, where it's called a slingshot. So you're in this ball and there's two um, bungee cords that go around it and it slings you up. We did that and that was exhilarating. Oh, Andy, I wait, do. Do you have the video? Because I have actually seen these videos on YouTube as I go down my 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 Disney vlogger creative inspiration rabbit hole. Yeah. And and I I am not a ride person or a thrill ride seeker at all. But I I watch these videos and my hands like literally start sweating. It's so entertaining. I can't believe you went on the slingshot. No, no, so we went on. I don't have the video. There was actually a spot where they used to have a video camera, but they took it off for some reason. So that that was unfortunate. They missed that upcharge because we probably would have bought it. Uh, but it was nuts. I mean, it, it just like feels like you're about to be launched in the space and then the wires catch and you come back down. So did it? I've seen in these videos, people have passed out. <laughs> no, nobody passed out. No one passed out. You were, were you screaming? Like what? Oh yeah, we were we were yelling loud. So that that was like our personal story. But two days before we went to a park, there was a story that came out on the park. Um, so their big ride is called Leviathan. And it's a 306 feet tall, amazing roller coaster. We loved it. But two days before we went. Um, there was somebody in the front row and the train was going, you know, I think at full speed and it hit a bird. So a bird just flew into somebody and exploded. So it's like, you know, imagine what that looks like, like blood went everywhere and everything um, all over the place. And uh, I mean, the ride was still open a couple of days later because the person really wasn't that hurt. They were discharged and everything was good. So it wasn't a bad story, but it was just like, huh, <laughs> I was writing. It was like someone just got hit by a bird on this ride. And it didn't stop the two of you. No. I, I, I think I remember 
hearing about this with Fabio like years and years ago. I just I, I just keep remembering seeing like a photo of his nose. On, he was on a ride and his nose was all bloody. And I, I do mm. think something I don't know if it was a bird. So maybe someone can cor- yeah. correct us or confirm, but it, he was on a ride and something hit his nose. And yeah, I just I remember, I remember seeing remember those photos. Photo. Yeah. Now the eyewitnesses said the bird just like exploded though when it hit somebody. Like there wasn't like you saw the bird it like bounced off. Like it just literally exploded when it hit the train and, and it hit a person. Wow. So I was like, maybe we shouldn't ride the front row on this. <laughs> There's a lot of birds in this area. But that that's the extent of my stories right there. <laughs> nothing, nothing bad happened. We had a great time. Niagara Falls, if if you haven't seen it, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Uh, well, well worth it. Uh, but it was a fun trip. So we got more roller coasters in a week and a half. So uh, we're going to Cedar Point. So our tour continues. I love it. We're, we're, we're going to have to do this, you know, Andy tours the oh, U.S. segment. Yep. Definitely. But uh, that's all we have for today. Another great episode, Jess. I'm looking forward to book club next week. So I will come prepared and we'll continue next week on the making of a marketer. Sounds great. Thanks, soon. Andy. See ya. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.